We thank you that from heaven there is always more. How much more, Lord Jesus, you said, will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And I pray, Lord, that 2024, we, this, this whole year ahead of us, every, every Sunday would be a Sunday in which the fire of the Spirit burns in our hearts, but not only Sundays, every other day. Make this truly a bountiful year for the people of peace and for this city, for the body of Christ in the city, for this nation, for other nations. We look for the hand of the Lord and thank you. We shall receive Christ, your blessing. Open now the word of God to our hearts. Holy Spirit, be the teacher to us each, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Friends, please be seated. I have to work a little miracle now. And it's this. Um, I had started, oh, was it November? A series on the book of Hebrews. Do you remember? And it wasn't going to be like verse by verse cover the whole book. That would take three years. We were going to cherry pick our way through the book of Hebrews for a little while. And I had done two. And then, of course, we're interrupted by Advent and then interrupted by the need for suitable New Year kind of messages. But the message I brought on New Year's Eve two Sundays ago also needs a follow-on. Well, we're going to work a miracle here today and produce a message that is both a follow-on, that is, it's Hebrews 3 and it's New Year's Eve special emphasis 2. All in one, all in one go. So what I have to do is take a minute or two to remind you of what uh, the special emphasis two weeks ago on New Year's Eve was, and then take a minute to to remind you of where we're at to in the Hebrews, and then (laughs) focus it so that you can see how those two things join. So here we go. First of all, a couple of minutes on the background to the message of two weeks ago. It was... um, It had a double emphasis. It was the transience of human life relative to the great eternal life of the author of life himself, that is the Word of God. And it was very interesting. Remember I had an interesting poem too? Anyway, no poems today. Actually, Henry Lawson did write a poem called um, The Men We Might Have Been. I had a look at it, but not really suitable for (laughs) our purpose today. Anyway, Two scriptures I'm going to show you. So this is to remind you of the New Year's Eve emphasis. 103, Psalm 103. As for man, his days are like grass. Remember we talked about how often all through the Bible it compares, if you like, the transience of human life. That is how temporary human life is to grass and to flowers. It comes up again and again all through the Bible. Your life is very short and very temporary. That is life in the flesh on earth. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field for the wind passes over it and it's gone and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. And, uh, and we looked at also this kind of word in scripture, Psalm 39, these were prayers This is one of them. O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days 
let me know how fleeting I am. In other words, life has purpose and you need to walk in it. But you can only do that properly if you're in Christ. And um, I shared with you something very practical that you could do and you ought to do and we all ought to do that would make a big difference. It would make a big difference to the world. It certainly would make a big difference to your world. But in particular, makes a very big difference to the world of your feelings that you will live with when you are older. Because when you're older and in your declining years, believe me, you live with a world of feelings, memories and all kinds of things, good or bad. What is the very practical thing that you can do to make a huge difference? And it was that you should write a list a list of the things that you want the Lord to do this year. And there were two kinds of things that would be on the list in particular. One was things that only the Lord can do, but you need him to do them. And the other kind of thing that was going to be on your list was the things that you need to do this year, but you need the Lord's help to be able to do them. In other words, it's your list of, of uh, it's your faith list, the things you're believing for, and you need a list. And I'll tell you directly why you need that list. But that's, that's a little bit of what two weeks ago was about. And this idea of the transience of man, and yet in Christ, ultimately not transient at all, that's what we're going to come back to in a few minutes from the book of Hebrews. However, now a little background on the book of Hebrews. Remember we said the book of Hebrews was written by a great Jewish leader, a Christian leader, written specifically to Jewish people who had become Christians, but with the passage of time were drifting away from Christ. And it's because persecution was greatly rising against Christians. The thing that had been prophesied, and that was the destruction of Jerusalem and of the temple, and that Christ himself was going to destroy the years went past, 30 years went past, no sign of it happening. People were scoffing. Persecution was, was hot. And so the tendency of Jewish believers, some of them anyway, was to drift back to Judaism. And the book of Hebrews was written specifically to address that problem. And it is, in my view, the most astounding or one of the most astounding books in the Bible. And uh, specifically, it was written to show Jewish people who had become Christians exactly how superior everything they had in Christ was to the old covenant. And um, the, a word that recurs throughout is the word better or superior, to, uh, one or the other, depends on your English translation. And in fact, you will come across about 22 separate items that are addressed as being far superior or far better under the new covenant than the old. I'm going to give you one classic verse to demonstrate. This is Hebrews 8, 6. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. You might not have noticed, but there are four things better referred to in that scripture. Now, here's a photo. Here's a slide showing you a list of the kinds of things you'll come across in the book of Hebrews. 
where Christ is better or superior. The whole book is about Christ. Now, you notice on the list, the first two I've listed as superior, the others are better. That's because that's the word you'll find. When I first put this together years ago, it's from the, the NOV 84. The, in the Greek language, it was the same word all the way through, not two different words. But that particular translation translated it two different ways simply because it suited the subject matter, the material being addressed was better suited by those words. But anyway, there's an example. And if you look at the references, see how they're all in kind of number order from chapter one to chapter 13. And this is the kind of thing you come across, superior to angels, superior to Moses, a better high priest, a better priesthood, a better tabernacle, a better ministry, better covenant, better sacrifices, better blood, better promises, a better hope, better law, a better mountain, that is the mountain of God, and a better altar, and so on and so forth. So keep a lookout for all these things as you're reading the book. Now, this is just review. The first thing the writer deals with is that Christ is superior to angels. And he spends virtually the most of the first two chapters constantly referring to that. There's a reason. It's because in the Jewish mindset, angels were the top of the tree. Angels were very, very important in the handing down of the old covenant uh, and, and so there was a huge place in Jewish thinking for the great importance of angels. He's, so he sets off at the very beginning to say Christ is superior to angels. That leads us to our subject today in a moment. Um, he, makes other, he goes on to make other comparisons. Of course, he, he deals then with comparing Christ to Moses and then Christ to the high priest. And that becomes a huge subject because it leads into sacrifices, the altar, the temple, all kinds of things. We'll come back to that later. But along the way, and this is not exactly an aside, but along the way, carefully spaced out in the book of Hebrews are six passages of major warning to Christian believers. Now remember, they were originally written to Christian believers who were drifting or were in danger of drifting away, and some had. These warnings, they get more and more severe as you go along. Very strong warnings, but no Christian should foolishly neglect the warnings that are in Holy Scripture. And I'm going to show you the first of them today because basically we had already looked at chapter 1 of Hebrews And today we're going to look at chapter two and in a moment we're going to read it. And it just so happens that the first of these warnings comes up uh, right at the very beginning of chapter two. So that's where we're going to go. And chapter two will then introduce our subject uh, for today. But first, this warning. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 13 through to the first verse of chapter 2. Remember, he was dealing with angels, Christ's superiority to angels. So now we read, And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? So this was said concerning Christ 
but never an angel. So in, in various ways, he's demonstrating the superiority of Christ. And then he makes a comment on angels, verse 14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? So here he says, even though angels are great beings, their task is actually to serve people. What is it about people? What is it about the human race that's here today, gone tomorrow, as far as individual life is concerned? Individual life so transient that it's compared by Scripture endlessly to grass and flowers that fade and die. And yet angels, astounding beings, are actually appointed to serve people. We'll see in a minute. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation now we come to the first verse of chapter two. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. He's saying, if, if all this is true, we, we had better sit upright and pay attention. Something really, really big is going on. And that leads us into his first warning that's in the book. From verse 2 then of Hebrews 2. For since the message declared by angels. Now he's now talking about the old covenant at Sinai. Remember? The old covenant at Sinai was declared by angels. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable. And every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation, we are dealing with a different covenant, not one handed down by angels, one given to us by Christ who is superior to angels. He's saying if, if those who neglected or disobeyed or spurned the first covenant received a just retribution, how much more must we take warning? about not neglecting or disobeying or spurning or thinking light of our covenant that Christ has given us. We read on, it was declared at first by the Lord. He's talking now about the covenant in the blood of Christ. We had Holy Communion today in which we celebrated the, that last supper where Christ broke bread, what Jesus had to say. This is the blood of the covenant. That's why it says right here in this text, it was declared at first by the Lord himself, by the Lord Jesus. And it was attested to us by those who heard. In other words, the 11 apostles who were present was attested to us by those who heard while God, in other words, this was the follow on after the resurrection of Jesus, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. This is the first of the serious warnings that come up in the passage. So having placed that, what I want you to do with me now is we're going to read through chapter two. I'll read just slowly. I'll get you to follow it. Uh, along the way, I'll make one or two comments about what we find in chapter two. Now, remember two weeks ago, we were reading verses, scriptures that said thing, as for, uh, things like, as for man, his days are like grass, like the flowers of the field, you fade, you know, the flower fades, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord 
endures forever. And I said, if you want to endure forever, you've got to have the Word in you and you've got to be in the Word, the eternal man. Now, here in addressing this problem of human life in the flesh, how weak it is, how earthbound it is, how temporary it is, what a struggle it can be, the book of Hebrews is now about to give us light of a different kind on our human fleshly state. This is where it gets most interesting from verse 5 of chapter 2. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. Well, stop then. If it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, to whom was it subjected? And the answer is to man. This is an astounding thing. The world to come is going to be ruled and governed by human beings, by men and women. Read it again. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. Now he gets down to it. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him? Now, if you go back to the original Hebrew, this, this translation here reflects the Septuagint, which was the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures. But if you go back to the original Hebrew, it wasn't just what is man that you are mindful of him, but what is miserable man that you are mindful of him. And the next line, or the son of man that you care for him. So when you read of this, it's not really talking about Adam in his innocence in the garden where the Lord said to him, have dominion over everything. No, this passage is about man who has lost that dominion and is now in his sin and struggling with his frailty. And yet God cares for him. As Jesus said, he, feed, he feeds the sparrows. How much more will he care for you? What is man? This is, this is a great question. By the way, this is quoted. This is cited from Psalm 8. This is, this is what's written up in the Old Covenant. What is man that you are mindful of him? What is it about the human race that God is so fixated, so loves, so cares for, so deals with, so walks with, so speaks to, is so tolerant of, and never gives up generation by generation deals with the human race. What is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? Verse seven, you made him. It doesn't say you made him lower than the angels. It says you made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, this is what Scripture says, but you don't see it yet. In fact, this is what he goes on to say. Uh, verse 8, Now, in putting everything in subjecting, subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. This is man's control. At present, though, he says, we do not see everything in subjection to him. There's something about where all of this is going. Now, notice something up front before we read the rest. Before he, long before he compares 
Christ to Moses, the superiority of Christ over Moses. Long before he compares how much better Christ is to the high, a better high priest, a better sacrifice, introducing a better hope, better everything. Long before he gets to any of that, so far he's only dealt with angels. He brings up man. Because he wants to introduce the fact Christ is a man. The Son of God became a man specifically to bring about the very thing being spoken of here. And so he must, he must show the importance of man in the scheme of things, in God's plan. Now don't, don't get too uppity. At the moment, you're still grass. You're going to die. Life is transient. But you'd better put yourself properly in the hands of Jesus if you want to see yourself in the picture of this being fulfilled for you. You better learn what it is to to do as the scripture says, taste of the power of the world to come in this life. Because it's actually appointed for you to walk in the power of the resurrection in this life. Tasting of the powers of the age to come. That's a scriptural phrase. Ultimately mankind, that is the redeemed part of mankind. Those who are in Christ will be raised above the angels. But there had to be one man. There had to come one man who was the key to bringing about the change because the original man appointed fell into sin, corrupted the whole of creation, brought us all down with him. Another man had to come that would turn all of that around and bring about the purpose of God. And you're going to see this. Verse 9. But we see him. Now, the him here is a reference to Jesus. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, now this is you, if Christ was to bring you to glory, he, as the founder of this, it says he had to be, had to, had to be made perfect through suffering. What did perfect through suffering mean? Christ was already the perfect being. No, he had to be made a perfect saviour. And he could not be made a perfect saviour unless as a human being he suffered and was tempted. So without the suffering, he was not a perfect founder of our salvation. He had to be made perfect through suffering. Verse 11, for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. That's you. Saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. In other words, he's speaking to God the Father, saying, I'll tell of your name to my brothers. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. These are words um, 
recorded here as being from the heart of Christ. Therefore, verse 14, since the children share in flesh and blood, yeah, you, you're, you're the flowers of the field. Here today, gone tomorrow. That's the flesh and blood. He himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. You've, you've not really known much of what it was like to live without hope and without God in the world. You've, you've known the Lord, the salvation of Christ pretty much all your lives. Don't take it for granted. That's why we have this first warning. We've already read, don't drift, don't neglect such a great salvation. Verse 16, for surely it's not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. And if we add on the first verse of chapter three, which will eventually lead us to another subject, but look at what it says. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. So with this now before us, I'm going to show you a couple of things from, um, from, from one or two other places in the scripture relevant to our subject. And that is the future of man or mankind under the hand of God that is redeemed man. What you, you know, on the one hand you look and we're as temporary as grass, but when we see, you know, what is man that you are mindful of him? What, what is the plan of God? What's the plan of the ages? What's his ultimate purpose? I want to give you a glimpse into that today. So first of all, why Christ? Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 45, thus it is written. Remember I said the first man failed and brought the whole race down into corruption. There needed to be another man. Ultimately, there had to be a man. That is the Christ. And that's why you get scriptures like the three little ones I'm about to show you. 1 Corinthians 15, thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. This is Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 47, the first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven, but a man he is. And then 1 Corinthians 15, 48, as was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. In other words, if you remain in your sin, if you choose to neglect such a great salvation, you remain in the dust subject to the laws of the dust. There's nothing more to be offered to you. But if you are in Christ, we read on here, uh, as was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. This is why you cling to Christ and to Christ alone. So, Read aloud with me now 
this little passage. I was astounded last night after having noted those scriptures I've shown you already. I turned to the book of Ephesians just to glance through looking for something that I knew was in chapter two. But my eyes fell on chapter one and it's, it's almost unspeakable. Like so rich, so vast, I'm thinking, you can't, you can't possibly fit this into a message. The, the astounding thing that, that was created by Christ, what, what he has brought to us. However, as a quick glimpse, I picked out a, a little passage of a few verses which we will read aloud together. I, I want you, as we read aloud together, I want you to realize just how uh, abundant, just how rich, just how quite astounding uh, is the grace that was brought to us by the, the, the last Adam, the man from heaven. So here it is. We're going to read aloud Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 10. You read with me as we go along together. Ready? Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. There's this plan, some, a huge eternal plan. I want to give you a little glimpse into your place in it before we quit here today. So Ephesians 1, this is a bit further in the chapter, in verses 19 to 23. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above. Now, start to put yourself in the picture. You're in Christ. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Right here, the church, which is his body, is described as the fullness of Christ that fills all things. And you are the body, and it says he's placed all things under his feet. These are just glimpses into the astounding nature of the eternal plan of God for that part of the human race that is redeemed in Christ Jesus. There's a little more we read here. Ephesians 2, 
verses five to six, even when we were dead in our trespasses, we were made alive together with Christ, uh, by grace you've been saved, and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, when you, when you come to really understand your place, where you've been positioned spiritually, it turns out that even while you're here in your flesh, even while life is transient, even though the days go past and you get older, the astounding thing is that you have a spiritual position where you are seated with Christ above and you are in communion with the Lord and your words have power and this is why you must pray and know what it is you're praying for. This is why the scripture says, as you'll see in a moment, that you can approach him with confidence. No wonder you can approach him with confidence. You're seated with him on his throne. Try and be clear about this because it gives you tremendous confidence to pray when you realize you're not praying from the earth, you're praying from the heavenly places. You're seated in heavenly places. It reminds me now of that night when we were in the previous building up there on Norman Road at the time, and it was a Saturday, and I was burdened. I, I wanted to, I mean, I used to often go, um, you know, do special measures in prayer, go sit on the mountain, pray half a day, or I wanted to go in there Saturday evening, I knew no one was around, it'd be quiet, have the building all to myself, it'd be dark, I could go in there, I wanted to go in and cry out to the Lord for the church. I wanted to pray for the, the life of the church, the people of the church. I went up there really determined to walk into that place and really seek the Lord. I got there at 7 or 7.30, it was dark, unlock the front door, step in, lock the door behind me, and it's a fairly long walk down the hallway, twice as long as this one. And I, and I came walking down there resolute, determined, you know, and I started praying. I probably wasn't halfway down, two thirds of the way down. I started praying even while I'm still walking. I was so determined to seek the Lord and cry to God for the church. And, and so I begin to pray. And the moment I, the moment I step up here, suddenly, um, suddenly I realized I was actually standing before a throne in heaven with, with Christ seated on this throne. S suddenly I realized I'm actually standing. This has become a visual experience for me. Act and then all of a sudden I realized the, f the four living creatures were here. And, and then all of a sudden I realized the 24 elders were here. And then all of a sudden I realized tens of thousands, thousands upon thousands of angels. And they'd all fallen silent, all of heaven silent, waiting for me to speak. They'd all fallen silent to listen to what an ordinary man had to say about the work of Christ on earth. And I thought to myself, I hope I don't say anything stupid. But I poured myself into the prayer, all of heaven silent. Poured myself into prayer, 20, 30 minutes. Somehow these things always resolve themselves and, and you're left alone in the building again. 
But even though that's only ever happened once, I, I've had other all kinds of unusual experiences that were incredible. They tend to happen to you once, each of these different kinds of things once, because you're being shown a reality that you don't normally get to see and you don't have to see. You're being shown the reality of what prayer is. When he says, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence, it's a reality. It doesn't matter where you are. You could be in the shower. You, you, could, you could be butt naked, water pouring. You know, you're scrubbing your back. You start to pray. The fact is you're standing in that place, probably clothed. The, the spiritual realities, <laughs> they're not tangible to us in the body, but they're actually more real than this world is. Because this world that, that's material was made out of that world. Scripture is really clear that what is visible was made out of what is not visible. It's more real when you're aware of it. And you've got to know that if you're in Christ, you have every right to speak. And when you do speak, you are standing before that throne and you're being listened to. Therefore, you ought to know what you're praying for, what your heart is believing for, what you want to see God do. And you ought not quit. You ought to persevere, knowing he is well able to answer your prayers. Thank God. So where were we? far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And he placed all things under his feet, but you're his body. You're seated there with him. Look, Ephesians 2, well, no, yeah, Ephesians 2 verse 6, and raised up us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You are seated there. Scripture says when he was buried, you were buried with him. When he died, you died with him. When he was raised, you were raised with him. When he ascended, you ascended with him. When he was seated at the right hand of the Father, you were seated with him. Please get used to the idea you are in Christ. Now Ephesians 3 verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. These rulers and authorities are fallen angels and angels, but especially fallen angels. It is through the church. It's through the way you live. It's through the way you pray. Pray. It's through the way you live an upright life and God answers your prayer. It's through the way in which you overcome temptation. It's through the way in which you stand upon the word of God and see yourself vindicated by the spirit of the Lord. It's, all, it's through the way you are meant to live in Christ. It's the way the, way the church together as a people it prays and loves one another no matter what, and loves the unloving. In other words, through, by living the way Christ tells us to live and living it properly, full of the Holy Spirit, convinced it is actually through the life of the church that principalities and powers and demons and fallen authorities and rulers learn a thing or two. They get put in their place by the way you live. But when you fail to honor Christ in the way you live, you just give them power and you end up 
weaker and more beggarly and miserable and you, you might be a Christian and your sin's forgiven, but you aren't overcoming and you, instead of living in victory, you live in defeat. And that's what you'll live with in your older years unless you can change that. And it's easily changed simply by, by being a prayerful person, knowing what you are praying and believing for and, and getting busy with it. There's a scripture, by the way, I think it's King David who wrote it's a psalm anyway. And the psalmist says, evening and morning and at noon, I will pray and cry aloud and he will hear my prayer. Now, that's not a bad pattern. If you've had no success at all praying once a day, maybe you should try change the goals <laughs> and simply simply say, well, I'll, I'll, pray, I'll pray a prayer in the evening and another in the morning, another at lunchtime. But when you've, got, when you've made yourself a list, handy little list, it becomes easy because immediately you, at least you know something you can pray for and you can set your heart to believe God and it'll just get better. You apply yourself to it, it will get better. Where were we? We're still in Ephesians 3.10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rules and authorities in the heavenly places. For next verse, this was according to the eternal purposes. I told you there was a plan. There's an eternal plan for mankind. This was according. What was according? The manifold wisdom of God would be made known to the rulers and authorities through the church. That was in according, accordance to his eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus. In other words, that's what it was all about all along. In whom, that is in Christ, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So you better start using the access. Boldness and, and boldness. We have boldness and access. Start using the access and start using it with some measure of confidence. Chuck Clayton was here. Well, he was here lots of times from November 94 was his first visit. And I suppose he came a dozen times or more. And I went to him and visited him as many or more times. And I remember once he was with me and we went up to Mount Morgan for some ministry. But he said to me, he said, if I started a, a new church, like he said, if I started a church again, I would preach nothing but faith for six months. Because if you can get people into faith, you can achieve anything. Of course, that was the approach I had already taken with peace from 1988, 36 years ago when I first came here. Uh, 36 years next Sunday, I think, is this Sunday or next Sunday. That was the approach we took. Learn to pray, learn to believe God, and we began to see a lot of miracles. To this day, we see miracles. We thank God. No, you, you have to be in faith because then you can achieve anything. All right, here we are. Uh, uh, we're not far off closing. Hebrews 4. Let's get back to the book of Hebrews for a minute. Hebrews 4, verse 
Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we, yet without sin. Let us therefore, look, 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 look. It was in the book of Ephesians that Paul said we have boldness and access with confidence. That was Paul. Here we have a different writer. Here we're back in the book of Hebrews. And he says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And by the way, this is the word you need for 2024 because 2024 has hanging all over it as available to you and me, the bounty of the Lord. Psalm 66 says he crowns the year with his bounty. I've seen a lot of these years now. I've seen 72 of them. Now, admittedly, the first few of those years, I wasn't thinking anything. Like most of us, when you're one, two, three, four years old, you don't even remember it. But from the time that I was a Christian until now, 58 years, every year, you know, starts with fresh hope and you think, what's this year for? And, but I can tell you now, in the spirit, I have never seen a year with more potential for bounty than 2024. It is just hanging all over this year. The, the mental image I keep getting is if, as if the, the, the ornaments on your Christmas tree were this big, it's like they could be this big. A bounteous year. He crowns the year with his bounty. How is that going to be achieved? It's no good waiting until March or April and think, well, we better do something about, you know, believing God for the year to be blessed. Today is the second Sunday of the year. We, we start believing God, this is going to be a bounteous year. We're going to see fruit for the kingdom of God and for our own lives. So confidence, draw near, access. And uh, two more Hebrew scriptures, Hebrews 11. One, uh, by the way, you've got a whole chapter in Hebrews all about faith, but just two quotes from it. Hebrews 11, 1 to 3. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. You know what happens? When you start praying into something, very often you don't have, you don't have any real inner assurance. But as you keep praying, as you keep seeking, it's amazing how that assurance grows. You get to the place where you just know. You believe and you get the breakthrough. It's astounding. Faith is the assurance. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. Listen, if he can create the universe by his word, he can sure answer your prayer by his word. And then in verse 6, and without faith it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. That's an interesting element to tack on there. He rewards those who seek him. This interesting thing is seeking God is not just hard work. It can seem like hard work, but it doesn't end there. He rewards. He, nothing you do is just you on your own. He is very willing. He does reward. So in closing... Two items of advice from James. There's a book in the New Testament called James, full of practical advice. And James has some things to say about your prayer 
and your faith, and they are these. First of all, he says the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Now, the, what does righteous mean? You've been declared righteous in Christ Jesus. It's referring to someone who actually takes the trouble to look to God and pray and start believing. But it says the prayer, the prayer of this person, he goes on to say, Elijah, Elijah was a man of the same passions as you as me. Look, Elijah knew, he, he knew how to work hard and challenge the status quo, but he also knew how to have a hissy fit or, or how to have a nervous breakdown and run in fear. He was a, a normal man with normal feelings. Scripture says, he says here, Elijah was a man just like you. But, but he prayed and it did not rain. Then he prayed again and it did rain. The prayer of, an, of a, or the fervent, the fervent prayer of a righteous person is powerful. That's the first thing James has to say. But here's the other. It turns out, it turns out that the Lord isn't real fond of people making double-minded requests. He doesn't like, he doesn't like double-mindedness. And uh, we'll just read James's word, chapter one, verse six. But, but let him ask in faith. This is you. Let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Uh, the warning there is, is against being in two minds. The idea is be absolutely clear what it is you're seeking the Lord for, how you want to serve the Lord, what you, what you want the Lord to do with you, with your life, for you, and go all out and seek the Lord. Single-mindedness. Don't be double-minded. Don't be like someone, you know, praying for a new job who says, uh, Lord, I'd like a, like a job in a finance company or or, or, you know, on the other hand, I wouldn't mind a job selling cars. You know, this is double-mindedness. Make up your mind. The Lord, the Lord loves it when we are um, abs absolutely clear about our desire to walk with Him and to be a fruitful people. He loves, he loves a bit of passion, loves a bit of zeal, doesn't, doesn't like us being on again and off again. And yet, and yet in the weakness of our flesh, we can't be like that. What's the best way to overcome it? Write your list. You need a list. Why, why do you need this list? Why do you think? I think... Um, I, I think you need this list of what it is you're believing God for, uh, for at least two reasons. One is, for your own sake, you, in your own mind, have to be very clear about what you're believing the Lord for, so as to overcome your natural tendency to be double-minded. And the other reason is to help you stay on track. 
Otherwise, the days go past. You drift. So, in other words, it's all to help us not be hit and miss people in more than one way. Well, friends, uh, if you haven't done much work on your list of what you're believing the Lord for this year, and that's emphasis, by the way, what you want to see the Lord do now. We're, we're, not, we're not thinking about the tomorrow that never comes. You're, looking, you're praying about the things you want the breakthrough on now. The year is crowned with bounty. Let's try and make the best use of it. Well, bow your heads with me. And uh, in your heart of hearts just now, how about you do business with God? There are things the Holy Spirit is saying to you right now. I, I can sense it. There, there are so many hearts that are thoughtful right now. Let's, let's just allow a few moments of silence while you settle the business with the Lord. Lord, we acknowledge our weakness and our imperfection. We acknowledge too our, our, our failures and the many sins that have beset us. I thank you that with Christ there is forgiveness. And I thank you too that with Christ there is power. And I pray again, O Lord, today for, for the church and all who are hearing these words today. I ask, oh Lord, that you would wash us each afresh of every sin, that you'd strengthen us in every area of weakness, and that you'd grant, O oh Lord, to everybody here today in the heart real clarity of your calling upon them, your sense of purpose for them. I, I pray, O oh Lord, that by the Holy Spirit something would rise up in every heart that really wants to believe God. And I pray that for every person here, you would grant miracles. Miracles in the family and in the home, miracles in circumstances and in, in lives, miracles in the body, miracles, Lord, with respect to their heart and their mind and who they are and, and what they become in Christ Jesus. I ask, Lord, that you would enlarge the hearts, enlarge the understanding Enlarge the capacity and the ability. Grant that every person here would find the victory of Christ, the grace and the faith by which to overcome in all their circumstances. Thank you for the promises you've made to overcomers that we sit with you on your throne. Holy Spirit, come. And what has been explained poorly and weakly and in just a short time, I ask the Holy Spirit that you would make it understood in the heart, known to believers, grant grace, O oh Lord, by which young men and older ones, young women and mature ones, grant grace by which children and teenagers walk 
in the life and the power of the word of God, which we have sought to look at and to understand today. Make these words live. And so thank you for the week ahead. Prosper the week. Thank you for the bounty of the Lord that's upon this week. Thank you for the bounty of Christ that's upon today and every day that follows. Lord, we receive the promises. And now in the name of the Lord Jesus, I place upon every one of you the Spirit of the Lord, the blessing of God Almighty. I place upon you His peace. And I say grace to you, mercy to you, peace to you from God our Father and His Son, our Lord Jesus. And may the power of the Holy Spirit fill you afresh just now. The Lord bless you. The Lord bless your days. The Lord bless your family. The Lord bless this week. I commend you to his grace in Jesus' name. Jacob, come lead us in final act of worship and song. Thank you for today. Thank you for worship. Thank you for the band. We praise God.